So we are in the third week of this series where we are looking at Moses' life uh, and what we're able to draw from that to kind of help better define our own relationship with God. Uh, I shared with you in the offering talk that uh, I was not the primary speaker today, uh, and that is because we have a special privilege today, which is to allow Dennis White to lead our message today. Um, You may not be familiar with this, but in the United Methodist Church, uh, we believe in the empowerment of people into ministry, uh, the laity of all, uh, and the priesthood of all believers. And so uh, we believe that all of us are gifted and called to different areas of ministry. Uh, One of the areas that we have in the United Methodist Church is a program, it's called Lay Speaking, uh, and it is to prepare people uh, who may feel called to to preach, uh, to, 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 to deliver a message, um, but not necessarily feel called to, to go into pastoral ministry, um, and they become available for the district and the conference to, to go and to preach in churches. Uh, and it's a, it's a fairly lengthy system that we have, as everything in the United Methodist Church is a uh, lengthy system. Uh, but, but it's a process of being able to learn and discern your call. And, and one step of that is, as you go along in the process, is you are called to preach. Uh, and as Dennis will tell you, that, that the way it works is you go and preach in front of this like committee of people. Uh, and I don't know about you, but that would make any of us extremely nervous if the first time you ever preach is in front of this strange group of people. Now, y'all may be a different strange group of people, but at least you're a strange group of people that Dennis knows and loves and that you love Dennis, right? Uh, and so, as I worked with Dennis, it was one of those things where it was just a great opportunity um, as we talked for him to be able to come and share from his heart uh, to you what God has revealed to him uh, in the person of Moses. And so I'm going to invite Dennis to come up and y'all give him a little bit of love this morning. So I want to thank Andy for working with me on this. Andy gave me a lot of advice, and one piece of advice was don't head down too many sidetracks. Uh, and I want Andy. I want you to know that I'm going to follow that mostly. Um, the uh, most of you did not know I was going to preach, and uh, so to you I'd say surprise. And uh, but some of you did know I was going to preach, and you showed up anyway, and that too is a surprise. So, uh, but anyway, thank you in advance for your for your support. Uh, we're continuing to talk about Moses and what he can teach us for our lives. Uh, Moses has been referred to as a reluctant prophet, and we see his reluctance in a lot of ways. We see that he was reluctant. He ran away from Egypt to get away from the death sentence that Pharaoh had placed on him when he killed the taskmaster. He went and hid out for about 40 years in another country. Um, and then when God called him out of the burning bush, he was once again reluctant. He gave all these excuses for why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And then even when he was in the wilderness, um, he, he, he got frustrated with the people when they were complaining. And they complained a lot. And he, he said, God, why did you give me this assignment to lead these people? So we see his reluctance really throughout the whole story. Uh, The question I have for you to begin with is, when did Moses stop being reluctant? When did he stop being reluctant? Well, I believe he was reluctant until the last day of his life. And I believe that because he's human, and our human nature is to be reluctant, to be fearful, to to look for excuses. But the great thing about, one of the great things about the Moses story is not that he stopped being reluctant, but that he 
overcame his reluctance. And that's, that's the lesson, I think, that comes through for us is how, did, how do you overcome that reluctance? This now? How do you overcome that reluctance? Uh, well, a couple of things. Moses was about 80 years old when God called him to go back to Egypt. And so we know that God was working on Moses those whole 80 years, you know, nudging him, pushing him, uh, helping him get ready for the work that God had for him. But another important thing that happened to Moses, he had people. God called people into his life. To, uh, to help him, support him, and help this story, this Exodus story that God had planned, help it come true. Now, we know that um, there were men in Moses' life, and, and I guess sometimes we tend to talk more about the men. Uh, we talk about uh, Aaron and Caleb and Joshua. We're not going to talk about the men this morning. We're going to talk about the women in Moses' life. We're going to talk about the women in Moses' life that God used to help that story come true. So about three points I'd like to, to give, give you this morning. One is that when God called Moses to do this great work, he called other people to help him do that work. Uh, and, the, and the Bible tells us that there were six or seven, and I'll tell you why I said six or seven, one of those sidetracks Eddie told me not to go on. But there are six or seven uh, women that are sort of prominent in the story that made this happen and made this, this story of Moses come true. And of these women, at least a couple of them probably had no idea they were doing God's will. But God touched their heart and, 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 and caused them to be important to the story. And then the third point is, had any of these women not done what they needed to do, then the, the Moses story would have had a very different ending. As we look at the women in Moses' life, we want to look at what are the qualities that these women had that, that allowed God to use them. Uh, and so uh, understanding that, that each one had an important part to play. So the first woman in Moses' life was the first woman in all of our lives, his mother. His mother, Joshebed. Joshebed uh, was a slave woman, and in the, in the social structure at that time, a slave woman was either on the bottom or very near the bottom. I don't know what would have been lower. But so this is a slave woman who decided to defy Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth, and she decided to defy him. Now, you know the story that the Hebrews had come to Egypt. Joseph had brought them to Egypt uh, as immigrants. And they stayed, they flourished, they grew to the point that a later Pharaoh, and the scripture tells us a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, uh, became fearful of the Hebrews. He said, these people are growing. They're going to be very powerful. They could be an enemy within my country. And so he decided he had to do something to get them under control. So what he decided to do is enslave them. He decided to force them to work for the Egyptian government. He decided to place these taskmasters over them that would require them to do all this arduous work. And, and that would be a way of getting them under control. But the Pharaoh decided that that wasn't going to be enough. And he decided to take another step. And in Exodus 1... 15 and 16, we see this. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. So if it's a daughter, we can use her as a servant. But by killing the male babies, it was another way of getting the getting them under control and keeping them from being such a, what he thought was a threat to his kingdom. This is where we meet Yoshebed. Yoshebed uh, had had two older children. She had Aaron and she had Miriam. And uh, so she, this was her third child, and it was a baby boy. And she decided she was not going to, uh, to, to follow this edict and allow her, her baby boy to be killed. Uh, if we look at Hebrews 11.23... 
We see by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the question we have is, how, how did a Hebrew uh, slave woman have the courage to define to defy Pharaoh? How did she have it? Because defying Pharaoh could be a death sentence. Could be a death sentence for you and your whole family, for that matter. But how did she find that courage? Well, the scripture tells us by faith, by faith she decided to hide the child. And by faith, she was able to not be afraid of the king's edict. So what does this tell us about her? Last week, Andy talked to us about obedience based in faith. We want to talk about courage based in faith. And so this courage that Yoshebed demonstrated came from the faith that she had, and she was not afraid of the king's edict. Uh, another thing that we notice about the scripture is it tells us that they looked at Moses and which Moses, by the way, was his name given to him by his Egyptian adopted mother. But, but they said they saw the baby and said he was good, saw he was good, saw he was beautiful, I'm sorry. That's translated to mean they saw he was good. He was good and he had potential. And so having, being good and having potential uh, is, 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 is what she could see. But, but keep in mind that there's no, nothing in the scripture that says Yoshebed knew that Moses was going to grow up to be the leader of the Hebrew people and take them out of slavery. The, the, no angel came down and said, this is what's going to happen with your baby boy. Unlike some other stories in the Bible where, we, where they can see where the end is going to be, she did not see that. Often, God asks us to act, to take a step, when we don't know how the story's going to wind up. But we have a step in front of us we have to take, and this is what Yoshebed did. She had to have love for her son, and she acted out of her faith in God. Another thing that we notice about her is she's decisive. The time came to do something. She didn't hesitate. She did what she needed to do. And, um, you know, a vision of what God wants without action really doesn't change anything. So she had the vision that, that her baby was good and had potential, and so she took the action to say, I'm going to do something to save my baby. Another thing we see about um, Yoshebed is that she was, I would say, resourceful. Uh, she came with this plan. Now, you say, I'm going to save my baby. How, how can I do it? Well, you can do it by maybe trying to hide him, or you could do it by maybe trying to get him out of the country. But she came up with a different plan, a bold plan. She's going to place the baby in the, in the royal household. Now, where in the world would a, would, a, would a slave woman come up with a plan to place the baby in the, in the royal household? Well, I think the answer is it wasn't her plan. It was God's plan. And when we follow God's plan, we do bold things. And so this is what we saw with her. She was willing to follow God's plan and do bold things. So what are some of the things we see about Yoshebed? We see that she is, has strong faith. She has courage, she's decisive, and she's resourceful because she's trying, she's doing what she can to follow God's plan. Next, we meet the two midwives. And in Exodus, Exodus 1, 17 through 21, we see this about the midwives. <clears throat> but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. 
So the two midwives, and this is one of those sidetracks I'll leave, leave with you with my reading. Uh, some people believe the midwives were Hebrew, and some believe they were not Hebrew. Uh, it says Hebrew midwives, but it could mean midwives who serve the Hebrew population. The reason some people say that is because would, would, they ask the question, would Pharaoh trust Hebrew midwives to kill Hebrew babies? And maybe not. It's not important except that if they weren't Hebrew, the fact that they fear God maybe becomes even more important. So, but they fear God. Now, this is what we know about them is they fear God. They respected God. They had faith in God. And because of that, they were able to also defy Pharaoh. And if Pharaoh had figured out what they were doing, again, it probably would have been a death sentence for them. So we see the faith, we see the courage, and, and the next thing we see with them is resourcefulness. They told Pharaoh a story, and it was a good story. It's a good story because it worked. They said, well, these, these Hebrew women have babies so fast, we can't get there. And, and they, the baby's born, they take him away before we can get there. And Pharaoh believed it, and God protected them. It tells us that God dealt with them dealt, uh, well with the midwives and gave them families. So again, we see courage and resourcefulness based on faith and based on trying, on, on implementing God's plan. <clears throat> so the next say woman or female in the story that we want to talk about is uh, Moses' sister, Miriam. Miriam was probably seven to ten years old when Moses was born. Uh, and Miriam, if you remember her part in the story, uh, Yoshebed had decided that she was going to, she had this plan, this bold plan, God's plan, to create a basket uh, out of bulrushes to coat it with pitch and to put the baby in the basket and to float it down the river in the direction that she knew the Egyptian uh, uh, princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, and her attendants would be bathing. So she, she came up with this plan, and she implemented her plan. At that point, we, we learn something about what Miriam's role would have been. And also keep in mind what uh, Yoshebed is willing to do here is give up her baby to save her baby. Give up her baby to save her baby. Exodus 2, 4 through 10. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. He took pity, she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So Again, this seven to ten-year-old child had a role to play. At just the right time, she stepped up. At just the right time, the baby began to cry. If the baby had begun to cry earlier when he was in the river somewhere, it could have attracted an Egyptian soldier. It could have attracted some sort of wildlife that's in the Nile River. It could have been, but the baby did not begin to cry till they opened the basket and, and Pharaoh's daughter looked at him and he began to cry. Now, what woman can resist a crying baby, right? So it's like perfect timing. At perfect timing, Miriam stands up, steps forward, and said, Would you like me to get you a wet nurse? Notice that Miriam didn't say, Are you thinking about keeping this baby? She just assumed that was, a, that was a conclusion. You're keeping the baby. Let me do something to help you make this happen. 
And so it was easy, instead of the Pharaoh's daughter saying, well, maybe, maybe not, she said, yeah, bring me a nurse. Now, at this point, uh, Miriam became a connection or a bridge between Moses' birth mother and his adoptive mother, and that was an important role for her to play. She brought in Moses' mother, Yoshebed. She became the wet nurse, and a wet nurse in those times meant that they would take the child, look after the child, nurse the child for the first two or three years of their life. That's important because that gave Yoshebed an opportunity to, to bond with the child and to talk to him and educate him on the ways of the Hebrew people and the Hebrew God. So this was an important link. Now, we don't hear a lot about Miriam. Uh, later on in the scripture, uh, she shows up in, in the wilderness as someone who's, who's doing some things to help Moses. But what happened in between, we do know something about from some other historians. And they say that she grew to be a very uh, important, very influential leader among Hebrew women in particular. And she did some things, and you may know the story, she did some things to get herself into trouble later. Uh, but none of that takes away from the part she played in the, in the story. So how important um, was um, how important was Miriam in the in the story, the Exodus story, in Micah four six, and this is the prophet Micah talking to the Hebrew people later in a later time, and trying to warn them about you know they were getting in trouble again as they had a tendency to do, and so he's he's speaking God's words to them and warning them, and he's trying to remind them at that point of what God had done for them in Micah four six. He says, "For I brought you up from the land of Egypt." And redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. <clears throat> In other words, my view is Miriam made the MVP list uh, along with Moses and Aaron. And so I think her role was critical and, and very important to the story. The next we want to we look at Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter, we can't say that she had faith in God. Because obviously she didn't worship God. She worshiped the Egyptian uh, tradition was to worship many gods. And so she did that, uh, I'm sure. So she she didn't worship God. But we do see some things that happened with her. When she saw the baby, she felt compassion and love for this little baby. And she took him in and decided to, to adopt him as her son. Now, how do you explain a Pharaoh, an Egyptian woman, agreeing to adopt a Hebrew baby, particularly when her father had said these Hebrew babies should be killed. How do you explain that? Well, again, I would say that even though she didn't worship God, God had to have touched her heart and caused her to have that, that, uh, uh, that, that compassion, that love for that little baby. So what do we see in Pharaoh's daughter? We see that, that sometimes God uses people that don't know they're being used, right? But she, she was still open to do whatever her heart was telling her to do. We see some courage. She had to challenge her father to be able to, uh, to keep this baby, and we see um, this compassion, this love, which, which seems to me that has to come from God touching her heart. And she was decisive, again, as we said before. She didn't hesitate. She made a decision. Yes, go get the wet nurse. I'm keeping the baby. So the next woman in Moses' life is his wife, Zipporah. Zipporah, if you remember, was the daughter of Jethro, and he had a number of daughters. And when Moses fled to get away from uh, Egypt, he met Jethro and his family. Um, and so this may have been an arranged marriage or a marriage of convenience, uh, more than a marriage of love. We don't know a lot about Zipporah, except it's sort of like what we don't hear tells us something. We don't hear that she embraced Moses' faith. 
Uh, we don't get the impression that she was all that excited about his decision to go back to Egypt. Um, and, we, and we also, there's a, a story in there, which was another whole sermon in itself, about how Moses and Zipporah had a conflict over the circumcision of their child or their son, and resulting in Moses telling her to go back and be with her father uh, as he went on to Egypt. So, uh, so there's some things going on in that relationship that were tough. But I don't want to focus on that for a moment. I want to focus on the fact and give her credit for, um, for, for living with a difficult husband, supporting a difficult husband. And we think Moses would have been a difficult husband because he was a man most likely in conflict. Uh, remember, he's got the conflict of his Hebrew roots versus his Egyptian upbringing. He's got the conflict of his desire to do justice and, and his fear of what's going to happen when he does justice, the fear of stepping up. And so all these years where he's mulling over this stuff and brooding over this stuff is probably making him a very difficult person to live with. So she supported him. Uh, she gave him children. Um, so, but he was probably a difficult husband. Now, there may be some women here this morning who know what it's like to live with a difficult husband. Um, I don't know. But, uh, but if, if, you, if you've ever experienced that, you know that you deserve credit for that, and that's the credit that we would give her. Um, this is where we have one of those other sidetracks I'm going to mention to you because it's kind of interesting. Some of the scripture would suggest that Moses, that Zipporah died at some point, and then he got another wife, a wife from another race. And it, but uh, there are some biblical scholars who suggest he, it's not two different wives, it's the same wife, and that when Zipporah joined him in the wilderness, the scriptures referred to her with some different terms, but it's not a different person. That's not critical right now, but it is sort of an interesting question. Were, were there two wives or was there one wife that got described in different ways depending on the time in history you're looking at? Uh, but if there was a, a second wife, uh, again, what we believe is that she supported Moses in the latter years of his life. It caused him some trouble this, this, uh, uh, because it's, so she was from another race and it was an interracial marriage that caused him some trouble. Uh, but anyway, he apparently weathered that storm and she supported him. Um, so what do we learn from, um, from the story of Moses? Well, the first question is what do we learn about God? And what we learn about God is that when God calls, calls us to do some work, he also calls other people to help us do that work. Uh, what do we learn about ourselves in the story? We will learn from, from the story that we are, by nature, going to be reluctant. We're going to be fearful, going to come up with excuses. That's, that's human nature. Uh, but we also learn by looking at the story that you can overcome that reluctance by turning back to your faith, relying on your faith, to find the courage to step forward, whether you know the end of the story or not. And uh, that's an important part of what we can learn that we can, that we can use in our lives. One of the things that we should always do is ask, how can we make this story, Moses' story, our story? And so along those lines, uh, I began to think about the women in my life. And uh, I've been blessed by a lot of women in my life who made a real difference uh, to me. I started out with a mother who was like a rock. She was always there, always supported me, um, and, and, and such a blessing. Then I remember women who worked with me in uh, Bible school and Sunday school. If anybody was a Baptist, anybody a, was anybody a sunbeam? Am I the only sunbeam in here? I was a, I was a sunbeam, and uh, women who worked with me there. And I, there were men, but I'm saying today we're talking about the women. Today we're lifting up the women, right? And so... Um, up to the current time, my wife told me not to say anything that would embarrass her, and I always do what my wife says. So, uh, 
So hopefully I won't embarrass her too much, but, but my, my wife, uh, Lynn, her, her love and support has been a blessing. Um, and I worked with a guy once who, would, who whenever something came up about um, church, he would say, well, my wife's the religious one in our family. And, you know, we, we would sort of laugh about it. It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of true sometimes. It certainly has been true at times in my life when I would get focused on other things, money or jobs or stuff, trying to get more stuff, whatever. My wife never went down that path. She always kept focused on where the family needed to be focused. And I appreciate that. And actually, she deserves some credit, like we gave to Zipporah for living with a difficult husband for about 40 years. But, uh, uh, but and I, and one of the blessings that Lynn's given me is two wonderful daughters, uh, Amanda and Allison. Um, so those three women in my life, their love and support has allowed me to do a lot of things. <clears throat> I hope most of them were things God wanted me to do, but frankly, some of them were things I just wanted to do. But they were, they were there, and they supported me. And, uh, and so that's my story about when I said, how can I make Moses' story my story? That's what came to mind for me. So who are the women that God's put in your life to help you help you be the, the person you are today and help you do God's, God's work. I'm sure that you have your own stories there. So, Moses is seen as the most important figure in the Old Testament. Um, and he should be, and we should celebrate him, and we should, we should, we should uh, uh, acknowledge that. But when we think about Moses and all the great things he did, let's also remember that without the faith and the courage of Yoshebed, there would be no Moses. Without the faith and the courage of the two midwives, there would be no Moses. Without the faith and the courage and the creativity, the resourcefulness of Miriam, there would be no Moses. Without the, the compassion and the courage of, of, the, of Pharaoh's daughter, there would be no Moses. And without the support from his wives, wife or wives, whichever it was, uh, the story could have had a very different ending. So it's important to remember that, and also, um, as we end, just keep in mind that we are all called. We may be called to do the work. We may be called to support somebody who's doing the work. But every one of us have a role to play, and every one of us has an important role to play. And if we don't play that role, then God's plan is in jeopardy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the women and the men who were placed in Moses' life to help him carry out the work you had for them. Uh, we celebrate that and thank you for that. We thank you for the people you placed in our lives to celebrate, uh, to help us and support us so that we can do your will in our lives. So help us to strengthen our faith and through our faith find the courage to do the things that you have asked us to do. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.